Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Welcome to the Best Business Podcast, the podcast for established marketers, entrepreneurs, and CEOs, the ones who want to join me in my mission to create 200 new multimillionaires who solve world problems with entrepreneurship. If that's you, then this podcast was created to give you access to the tools, training, strategies, and tactics you need to achieve multiple seven-figure profits as soon as possible. This world needs the best business you can build, so please get ready, open your mind, believe you can do this, and let's build a better world together for future generations. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Arthur Tubman. Arthur is an expert in digital marketing and more specifically community building. He specializes in building communities on Facebook and currently has an authority website averaging over a million visitors per day, all visits from the 10 plus million person audiences he's built on Facebook. Arthur started as an entrepreneur at the ripe age of 19 while in the grip of a terrible addiction to drugs. In 2009, he launched a tech startup called Free Blog Factory, which was part of a web-based reality show featured on the front page of Orange County Register. He worked with celebrity talent like Hulk Hogan and Alfonso Rubiro and big companies to create more conversions in their businesses. And now he is currently the founder of D4Y Brand Builder, Inc. I've asked Arthur to join us today because building communities and integrating your business with communities around you is one of the most critical skills I think we all need to know. So, Arthur, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, too. Um, now, we touched on a little bit of, like, obviously some highlights of what you've accomplished and celebrities you've rubbed elbows with and even some challenges you had to overcome. But how did you get started? How did you even get into this, like digital marketing and that? Do you come from a long line of entrepreneurs or... Actually, no, I think I'm pretty much like the first in my family line as far as entrepreneurs go. I, I definitely consider um, my dad kind of a pioneer or entrepreneur like in his own right, not so much in business, but just as far as like being a rebel and stepping out of his comfort zone and doing something different than what everybody else was telling him to do. And what I mean by that is my family was living in communist Russia and my dad wanted to escape that landscape and move to America so my sister and I could have a better life. Uh-huh. And his whole family was against them. He applied to leave in 1974. He was granted permission in 1989. So 15 long, hard years of fighting the government and every single organization you can think of in that country to be able to leave uh, safely with his entire family. And uh, I look at that as, you know, someone that has that type of spirit, you know, that pioneer, the entrepreneur type spirit, whether, you know, it's in business or the personal life. I think it's where I get a lot of, you know, my habits and my instincts and a lot of the qualities that I have as an entrepreneur. I think I get it from my dad. It's mm, awesome. So now, what were some of the biggest challenges you got? You mentioned one, the drug addiction. That's not an easy thing to overcome. But what were some of the biggest challenges in general you faced in your business career and having to figure it all out? I think uh, in the beginning, it was, you know, just getting kind of hung up on the skill sets that I have to learn and trying to be everything, try to wear every single hat in my own business. And uh, over time, just realizing that there's a lot of uh, key components in running a business, especially a digital marketing agency or really any type of uh, venture that you go out to do. There's some key people that you want to surround yourself with. And you just have to realize that you don't have to be the one wearing every single hat. If there's, you know, parts of the business that you're probably not good at or you're weak at or you don't want to do 
there's a high probability you'll never do it. Mm -hmm. And those parts of your business are going to suffer. You know, some of the key components, you know, that I'm talking about is like, I don't like design. And so I hired a good designer. I don't like to deal with the finances. So I have a CFO. I don't like to deal with all the operations in the business. And so I hired a COO, you know, operations officer in my company. And, you know, that way I get to really focus on the vision. I get to focus on the strategy. I get to focus on the creativity in driving and scaling the business. And, um, you know, you asked me about how I got into, into online marketing and I got into online marketing really just out of necessity. When I first started as an entrepreneur, I was running a a painting company. I got introduced to it by a good friend of mine. During the summer, it was a a way to make more money than working as like a cam counselor or Burger King or something else. And uh, it was my first exposure to entrepreneurship. But back then, my marketing consisted of putting out roadside signs, doing flyers, not doors. And uh, as I progressed in my career and started to do different things, whether it was in the finance world, in the real estate world, it was more the same when it came to marketing. And at a certain point, I started to really kind of burn out. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of an introvert in general. And so for me to go to a networking event or for me to, you know, speak at a chamber of commerce or for me to, you know, do some of these things that kind of take me outside my comfort zone, it was tough. And online marketing was an avenue to be able to, you know, interact and contact a lot more people and kind of, you know, be myself behind the veil to begin with and then kind of start to reveal myself as I got better with it. So I got into it out of complete necessity. I needed more leads in my business. I needed more traffic. And after a little bit of nudging from a couple of friends, I finally got into uh, Twitter and Facebook and just kind of started learning the ropes and just completely self-taught myself through, you know, the school of internet marketing, so to speak, Uh through seminars and workshops and coaches and mentors and got good at it over time. Right, 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 right. And that's a very organic path to take. And it sounds like a path that I feel like a lot more people should follow. A lot of people try to over-prepare for their future, but it sounds like you kind of learned what you needed to learn as you needed to learn it. And I think that's fantastic because I have clients that are like MBA grads and they're like, now what do I do? You know, it's like they spent six years, eight years trying to go down one path. So when it comes to building the communities and that on Facebook, what you've really specialized in before I asked a lot, but where do you think people make a ton of mistakes in terms of building an online following? Talk about that a little bit. I mean, I teach hot niche community building on Facebook and also on Pinterest and and some other social networks, primarily on Facebook, though. And I think that a lot of people, you know, I've had over 10,000 people go through my courses over the last couple of years with uh, learning how to build social communities on Facebook. I think they focus so much on, you know, okay, how do I sell my product or service? And they think about that versus thinking about how do I serve this community or how do I actually build a mass community of, you know, something in a hot niche or hot interest topic that people are going to want to come and congregate in and, you know, become rabid fans and want to talk about that thing every single day, all day long. And they don't really focus on building something for the mass market. They really just focus on trying to sell their product or service. And I've seen many people, you know, jump on Facebook and they'll build a community of maybe a thousand or 2000 people and start spamming their product links and their uh, offer pages and things like that. And that strategy just, it doesn't work. The reason that I've been so successful with community building is that I focus on my community. I focus on keeping the party alive and well, engaging my audience and, and reaching more people before I start, you know, jamming products and services down their throat. And a lot of times when I do start to sell stuff, it doesn't feel like a hardcore sale. They're kind of asking for it. They're like, hey, like, so what is this thing that you use in your videos? Or, hey, you know, what is that thing that you were talking about in this post when we're debating this topic? You know, they kind of want to buy whatever it is that you're selling and they Mm -hmm. start to ask for it over time. And, And I think the biggest mistake people make is that they focus on monetization first. 
when really monetization, I'm not saying it comes last, but it comes after you've built a rabid community that's hanging on every single word that you put out there. Mm, mm. So there's a lot in that that I want to break down. And anybody who's listening to this, hopefully you got a pen and a paper because this is probably going to be a fantastic interview. Just in terms of, again, there's some really key leverage points in your business and being able to have a community like what you're talking about. And you've used some great buzzwords in there. I mean, all a company is is a group of people who solve the pain point or solve the problem suffered by another group of people. That's all. A company is just a group of people solving the problem suffered by another group of people with a product or a service. That's simply it. So when you say like, a hot niche how do you define a hot like that's such a good buzzword but how do you define a hot niche well i'm going to give you and your community my three criteria for picking a hot niche and then i'll give you a couple examples of what hot niches are so there's three primary criteria that i follow and i found throughout the years of doing this that every single time i've broken my own rules or have stuck to two out of the three or one of the three my community has flopped and not worked as well as i thought it was when i first came up with the idea for it so number one is it's got to be something that's an irrational passion and the best way for me to paint that picture is are you familiar with an event called comic-con yes okay if you went to google and you searched comic-con or if anyone's listening went to google and searched comic-con uh one of the first images that comes up is these people that are in front of the san diego convention center in downtown san diego and they're like you know mid 20 mid 30 to 40 and even 50 year olds dressed up in their favorite superhero outfit and they're basically congregating at this event talking about the latest and greatest thing in marvel comics and you know all sorts of like x-men stuff and spider-man superman and they're basically like dressed in their favorite superhero outfit And I don't think I could give a better example than that of showcasing irrational passion. Something to the point where people would travel literally all around the world (laughs) to this event, meet with their friends that they kind of know physically and dress up in their favorite superhero outfit and walk around like that for like three days. Right. So number one, it's got to be rational passion, right? And and again, that could be, you know, superheroes. It could be, you know, health and fitness. It could be uh, biohacking. It could be pets. It could be, you know, culture and gaming and art and all sorts of stuff like that, right? That people are rationally passionate about. They're collectors. They love it. They'll buy everything under the sun as it relates to that topic. And they'll go to every event that's available. Mm-hmm. Number two is it's got to be social. And it's hard to define social. So the way that I define it is would somebody wear that thing or a quote from that thing or something about that thing on a T-shirt or on a hoodie or on a, on a mug that they drink their coffee out of every single morning? Is it social? Mm-hmm. And if they will, then it falls into the second criteria. And if you think about it, like, you know, people would wear like a namaste if they're like into yoga on a T-shirt or, or they'll wear a logo of their favorite superhero, you know, or they'll wear like funny, humorous shirts about their profession on a T-shirt t-shirt. And then number three is it's got to affect at least one in 250 people. So it's got to be big enough that it affects one in every 250 people, right? If it's like the cliche one that I hear used at workshops, like underwater uh, basket weaving as a niche, I'm sure that's actually a niche. I don't know, Uh, but it's too small. It doesn't affect one in 250. But the graphic that I think about that I found on Google recently is in 1988, one out of every two households owned a pet. And as of 2017, two out of three households own a pet. And that's at least one in 250. It's actually two out of three. So it affects a lot of people. And so that's why dog breeds or specific dog breeds work really, really well as a hot niche. Mm. And so all three of those criteria have to be met for it to qualify to be a hot niche, at least in my book, or at least from what I found. And, you know, personally, I have communities of, you know, over 10 million. And between my clients, my students, and everyone that I've taught throughout the years, we've crossed 30 million last week, as far as we can count with all the different communities that we've built over the last couple of years. And it includes everything from the music niche, 
politics, entertainment, decades and shows and health verticals and working out and CrossFit, virtually everything that falls into those criteria that I just named. Right. And it's like, I'll give you this example, uh, Daryl, because I think it's a pretty good one. When I first started doing this, my very, very first page was the Walking Dead fan club. And I remember when I first started, I got a lot of crap from some of my friends. They were like, I don't get it. Why are you doing a fan page or a community page around the show that's about the apocalypse and zombies? Like, who cares? Like, what are you going to sell them? How are you going to market your business? Like, what's the point? Like, I don't get it. And what they didn't know or what they didn't know at the time is that I'm into survival. I'm into gardening. I'm into kind of, you know, things about living off the land and like preparation and things like that. And who does Walking Dead as a show appeal to? It appeals to the preppers of the world. It appeals to the survival niche. Yeah. Right. So a show like that, building a community around the show like that. Sure. We're going to talk about the show all day long and the characters and, you know, the character development that happens and what people go through and the emotions and all that sort of stuff. But also when I start to sell, I can start selling survival products. I can joint venture with survival companies. I can sell gardening products. I could teach people how to live off the land, how to start a farm. There's all sorts of vast types of products and services that I could offer to this community once I know what the bridge is. Mm. They're just people that are part of this. So what can I sell them? What bridge can I make from what they love, which is the walking dead to what they want, which is being able to live like some of their characters in real life. Mm. Got it. So trying to think of some other examples, because that's a great one. The walking dead. So survivalists or people that are interested in survivalist products or somehow being prepared. That makes sense for them. Trying to think, a buddy of mine, he, knew, he had took on a client. It was a band. It was like the Redhead Express or something. It was these three or four redheaded sisters that played, and he tapped into redheads. That was his whole thing. He started trying to target redheads and build a page around redheads, and then siphon off those fans to their concerts and their YouTube channel and all that sort of stuff. But the core community was about redheads and loving redheads. And I think this was even when Teespring T-shirts was a big deal. I mean, they were selling like redhead T-shirts, right? That was their thing there. So. Just trying to think of another good example that emulates that. But okay, so all right, so you find like a common ground, a non-threatening, kind of fun space where a lot of people that suffer the type of problem you have or maybe share an interest that you want to provide a product or service for. You build this community around that. And then I guess, so you've identified the hot market, rational passion. It's got to be something socially wearing a t-shirt and affects at least one in 250 people. Probably should even be less, one in a hundred, to be honest. I mean, if you want to give yourself the best chances of success. So then at that point, when you say you build the bridge, how do you build that bridge? I mean, the two most important things, and this is partially for the audience, but, you know, everybody wants to talk about copywriting and and fancy marketing techniques and that. But really, a lot of marketing comes down to two things, you know, the audience, the list and the offer. And that's it. You know, if you got a terrible offer, it doesn't matter who you put it in front of. Unless, like you say, it's like, you know, it's a Michael Jordan fan and it's a Michael Jordan toothbrush. You know, they'll buy anything that's related to that topic. Or you have to have a fantastic offer, but it's got to be the right list. You could be the best chef in the world, but if you're offering your food to people who are leaving an all-you-can-eat buffet, they'll be like, man, it looks great, but I'm full. So it's finding that delicate dance between the two. And so I love the emphasis on building the community and being a part of that. I want to help anyone that's struggling in building their community. What would you suggest? If you were trying to troubleshoot or what's the process you go through when you've got someone and, you know, they obviously have some sort of assets in place. How do you troubleshoot the community or, you know what I mean? Like when you start with a client, do you start from scratch? Do you take a look at what they're already doing and try to pull the strings together? A lot of the people that we've worked with, they don't build the community. They're focused on building their brand page and getting their product out there. 
Right. It's a bold move in marketing because a lot of times people don't know your brand. You might have like, you know, 100, 200, maybe a thousand true fans right. that will latch on to everything you say and buy everything that you offer. But if you're trying to go mass market and really scale your business, get in front of more people. And, you know, it's a good question because a couple of years ago, 2014, had a couple of guys come to me. I don't know if you're familiar with the brand. Some of the people that are listening might be familiar with it now because it's actually pretty big now. But these guys had a country brand. It's called Country Rebel. And right now, their website is the largest country music network in the world. Mm. Are you familiar with Country Rebel? Yes, yeah. I remember you sent me that before when we first started talking about this. You sent me to their page and you sent me to some other page and their brand page and more fans than the other page. And forgive me, I don't have it off the top of my head. So so basically they came to me and they were like, all this sort of stuff, this Americana gear, we want to get to, you know, here's our demographic and our audience, people that like to buy this sort of stuff. But nobody knew who they were. And that strategy was ambitious and bold, but it would have worked over years, right, to build that type of brand. But what we did instead was we tried to find the bridge market. You know, who are people that buy this stuff? And we could have went any number of directions and we decided to go very direct. And the direct channel that we decided to go with was I started a page called Addicted to Country Music. I ended up selling them that page when it had about 30,000 fans, so it was fairly small. And over the course of the last three years, that page has grown to close to 4 million fans. And so they've built this massive community of people that are into country music. Well, about a million fans into this campaign, we started cross-promoting their brand. We started mm. exposing Country Rebel. We started creating the bridge of like, Country Rebel is this place that you want to go to to read the latest news on your favorite country musicians. And you want to le- read the latest news on what's happening in the scene. And you could learn about the latest products that are coming out that are trending. And they started driving traffic from their Addicted to Country Music fan page over to Country rebel.com and starting to cross promote their brand page through there. And um, just last month, I was looking at the brand page and the brand page has now surpassed six and a half million fans. Uh. So the brand page has far surpassed what the community page has been able to do. And it's because they focused on the community first. Right. You know, they focused on creating that bridge first. And that's a very direct example, right? Yep. There's some other verticals that it's not super easy to come up with that bridge because they're not super attractive or super sexy, if I could say that, for Facebook. Like, for example, if somebody's selling like financial services or, you know, trying to get people to diversify their portfolios, like talking about financial stuff isn't really cool on Facebook. People don't wake up and they're like, oh man, I can't wait to find out which is the greatest and latest investment that I can get into. And let me go on Facebook and find out. No, they go to their Facebook favorite website like CNBC or whatever site they read Wall Street Journal to find out what's the best thing that they can invest in. But what is the community that attracts those types of people? And so you have to be able to kind of step back and look at what are those people into or what do those people want to do more of? And so some of the ideas that come to mind just like completely on the fly thinking about it is, well, a lot of those people are into golfing. A lot of those people are into sailing. They're into luxury watches. They're into going on vacation and travel. So why not build a mass community for people that are into that and target the demographic that you want, maybe, you know, 45 plus males that uh, have careers that are into investing that would love to golf more or that would love to buy, you know, more uh, watches for their collection or that would love to travel more often to their favorite locations where we can, you know, we could display on a community page all these different uh, exact resorts and islands and trips that they can take or sailing or anything of that nature that appeals to that audience. Does that kind of make sense where it's like indirect, yep. but we can still make the bridge for like, well, hey, you want to golf more? Well, one of the ways that you can golf more is by investing and diversifying your portfolio better. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's 
that's actually a great example. Now, how do you nurture a community? So say you've got something. Say someone's got something. They've uh, like, all right, I think I kind of got something here. We've given them a couple of really good examples. Talked about the Redhead Express, targeting redheads in general. You talked about survival training, building a page around loving the walking dead and kind of that whole apocalypse kind of scenario and then siphoning people off into survival training. Talked about Country Rebel, having kind of country-style clothing, building a page called Addicted to Country Music. And then a great example for financial planning, targeting, maybe building a page around, uh, maybe even a lifestyle type page around golfing and watches and traveling and sailing, and then targeting those older demographic, like you said, maybe 40-something plus male who would be more interested in that. So if you kind of step back and figure that, I mean, it's probably, you know, we're making it sound a lot easier than it is. It probably takes some deep dive thinking. You probably have to spend some time actually getting to know who your real customers are, you know, being in the market, kind of talking to competitors, just being familiar with the industry. But once you kind of have that, how do you nurture a community? How do you feed a community? How do you nurture them? How do you keep the party alive and well? Uh, it's just about consistent, congruent content regularly. So consistency is key and then congruency is key. So, you know, I could tell kind of like our format for keeping the community alive. But before I even go there, I think it's really, really important to dial in the congruency piece because I think it's often overlooked. And the best example I can give you is we have a page that's about 70s, 60s, 70s rock music called I Love Rock and Roll. And when we first started building the page, we focused on four bands that we can really, you know, target from a media buying perspective so we could build an audience for people that are into those four specific bands. But at the same time, we can't like, so let's say that we're buying media for Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, Tom Petty, and The Who. If we start posting content about the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Green Day or some other band in rock and roll, it's not going to work because the people that we're attracting, Uh they're not into that music. They're into the four that I named, right? So congruency is a huge piece of it. Making sure that your content is congruent with the type of people that you're targeting. And of course, doing the research, like you said, on your avatar, your target market is going to be really vital to figuring out, okay, what are the first couple of you know, bands or influencers or whatever it is that we target to bring into our community. So the congruency piece is really, really important. Once you figure out the congruency and you figure out, okay, I'm going to go after, you know, these verticals or I'm going to go after these interests to build my audience, then it's about keeping things consistent. And so my formula is at least eight posts every single day on your page on congruent topics for your community. And to you, it might seem like, oh my God, how am I going to manage that? As a business owner, first of all, you can definitely train people to do this. You can outsource this. And also there's tools out there that help you find, curate, and create content that you can schedule for weeks and months out. And one of the best tools that I can share with folks on the call, which is really, really easy to use, is called fptraffic.com. It's super simple. And it's one of the tools that we use. There's some more complex ones, but that one is like one of the simplest ones to go out there, find content, curate content, and schedule content on your page. So you have consistent content going out every single day on that channel. And then it's not just about putting out these memes and, uh, you know, images and videos, but it's also about engaging your audience, asking them questions, serving them, running giveaways and contests so you can build your list and, you know, nurture them with email and messenger and a lot of the other fun tools that exist on Facebook and, you know, start to keep, um, not start to keep, but keep the community engaged week and month after month. And a lot of the pages that we run, Daryl, quickly, I hear like the average on Facebook as far as engagement is about 8% and our engagement is, you know, about 100% on a weekly basis. So if we have 100,000 fans, we'll have 100,000 engagements every single week, meaning likes, comments, and shares for anyone familiar with the term. And so we're keeping our fans engaged by asking them relevant questions, asking them to get involved in the conversation, and really creating a two-way interaction, right? It's not just like one-way marketing where, you know, you put an ad 
in the yellow pages or in a newspaper or wherever, and you're like, you know, hoping that someone's going to bite on your uh, on your ad, it's like putting content in front of them, they can actually talk back to and comment and debate and have a conversation with. Right. Yeah, I love that. And I think Facebook is probably one of the best social media platforms for creating two-way conversations like that, as you mentioned. So those are some great tips. Again, if people aren't writing this down, you probably want to get a pen. Really want to consider listening to this interview a couple of times over. So we talked about finding an audience and growing a community around it, something that's going to feed your business at some point. We talked about how to identify a hot market. We talked about how to nurture a community. Now, how do you monetize? How do you monetize that? Say you've built a community. You've got a YouTube channel. Or even me, I got a podcast, or you've got a Facebook page, or you've got a Pinterest following, or you've got an email newsletter list, and you've got people that are getting this content on a regular basis. How do you then segue into the monetization? Good question. It's actually a good segue from what we just talked about because getting to monetization starts with engagement and I have a series of milestones to kind of get people to that point. And so my milestones are, you know, for the first 5,000 fans, you're not doing anything except building the party. You're creating the party, you're creating the reach, you're creating the engagement, probably not going to be that massive. You're just kind of figuring out who your audience is. Once you get to about 6,000 fans to about 10,000 fans, you're going to start doing a lot of that polling and surveying and talking to your audience and kind of figuring out what they want more of. And when you get to about 20,000 is when we start doing lead generation through both email lead generation and also messenger lead generation, getting people on your messenger list on Facebook and also getting people on your email list, you know, on your CRM, whatever you use, whether it's AWeber, Infusionsoft, GetResponse, you know, there's tons of these CRMs out there that you can use to build your list. And so, you know, there's a couple of different ways to kind of segue into monetization. And one of the ways that we really like to do it early on is through giveaways. And so, you know, I'll give you an example of actually a, a live example that we're doing right now as we speak we're doing a giveaway on one of our pages called addicted to grilling and it's for the grilling community the business owner sells vendor carts and he sells education for people wanting to become vendors and one of the things that we're doing for the audience is we're polling them over the next couple of days on the type of grill that they love so we're just creating frequency on the page we're creating engagement and conversation and then on Friday and Saturday we're actually picking up the grill bringing it to the person's house and we're doing a Facebook Live where we're going to be talking about it and showing it off and showing people what they're going to get and how exciting it is and give them a chance to actually win this thing. And the point of it, you know, we're not going to make money on it, but what we are going to make is we're going to build a giant list of people that want to be able to win. Once we have them on our list, well, the sky's the limit because you can start nurturing those people. You can start engaging through copywriting and through email copywriting rather and, um, you know, bringing them into your, you know, engagement sequence or indoctrination sequence and, you know, talking to them on that level. At the same time, you know, one of the really good ways to start really monetizing your audience is introducing an avatar or introducing an attractive character on the page, right? So actually having a person on your team or you yourself building the community coming out and saying like, hey, I'm the person behind this because I love this and I want to be able to communicate with you guys and talk to you guys and find out what you want more of so I can share it with you and give it to you and serve you. It's one of the ways that we found works remarkably well, especially with Facebook Live as popular as it is and Facebook giving a lot more clout to people creating live video. We have several pages that, you know, where we have an attractive character we've created where the person is going live with the audience every Tuesday and Thursday, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, or whatever it might be, and connecting with the audience, presenting them with the product service or offering that they want them to take, right? But it really all starts with, you know, lead generation, maybe giving people a free report, an infographic, a recipe book, whatever it is as it relates to their business. 
Got it. All right. So recap monetization. I love how you had the tiers. So monetization begins with engagement. I love that for a couple of reasons. For anyone listening, if this is still kind of registering or if you're still, you know, you've been hit with a fire hose info. So engagement, there's a couple of things. One, they say people have to give you their time before they'll give you their money. And you also have to consider that what's the difference between window shopping and actually shopping. When you window shop, you just walk through the store looking at things. You don't touch, you don't engage, you don't really want anyone to come up and approach you, right? You're just kind of like you're just looking so to speak so that monetization begins with engagement is a really powerful statement that again i want people on the call to be aware of so then zero to five thousand just build the party i love that six to ten thousand start polling and surveying them about their wants and at twenty thousand plus start doing lead gen with getting them to opt in for things you say messenger lead gen you mean just getting them to like follow you add you like the page follow you on facebook and stuff like that so you can use like a chat bot or something to message them with yeah actually getting them on the messenger list i mean if you went to google Google and you typed in, you know, messenger versus email, you'll learn that messenger has about a four times higher open rate than email. And so like people are, are used to it. It's the same reason why Amazon has as high of a conversion rate as it does is because people trust it. People trust messenger, right? So it's one of the right. easiest and fastest way to start interacting with your audience before asking them for right. their email. Facebook already has their email. But how do you communicate the, and I fully agree with you. And I've noticed that for a long time now, like Facebook traffic is way hotter than email list traffic. Email isn't dead email is still around and you know you can take your email list and you can import it to facebook you can import it to twitter you can import it to all these places you can upload it to facebook ads you can upload it to google adwords now and target ads you can do that with an email address but you can't take your facebook followers with you somewhere so that's something that you know i fully respect but at the same time if you're playing within the rules why not party where the party's going you know and siphon people off so i agree with that i fully i mean obviously you know exactly what you're doing how do you message people on mass though with messenger there's plenty of tools out there called chatbots and there's two that i personally recommend one is called many chat and that one's really good for anyone that wants something that's completely out of the box click button really easy to use figure out you could broadcast people you could segment people by tag so you know let's say you did a campaign where you're running a facebook live and you're saying like hey everybody that wants to receive this free guide say yes in the comments and we'll send it to you when they say yes in the comments you tag them for that post and you make sure they're part of the segmented list of people interested in that free guide Hmm. you could also segment people by age and demographic and gender and all sorts of stuff. And you can actually send the broadcast message to segments of your list or to your entire list using ManyChat. The second tool is a little bit more robust and has a little bit of a learning curve, but it's my personal favorite and it's called ChatFuel. And it's 100% free to use. And you can broadcast to your entire messenger list on Facebook. The only thing is it's just like email, right? People have to opt in. They have to raise their hand and say, yes, I want this communication. And as soon as they do, then it's you know game on. You can start broadcasting out to them and sending them emails or messages. Right, 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 right. Okay, cool. Very cool. So we had ManyChat and ChatFuel. Those are the two. ManyChat is out of the out of the box solution. ChatFuel is free. It sounds like, but it might be a bit more uh, in depth. But it sounds like they're both awesome tools. Chatbots are fantastic. This is part of where people here you get to leverage technology. That's the other thing. Again, there's no magic room, Arthur. You're, we're not going to hang up the call, and you're not going to be like, all right, Daryl. Now that we got that out of the way, let me tell you the real <laughs> secrets. Are there any other like right? Is that going to happen, or is this the real deal right here? It really is. This, like, personally, I very much dislike the word secret because I get that a lot. I get people like, okay, Arthur, I got the basic stuff, but uh, can you just tell me, like, yeah, can me you just secrets. tell me the advanced, like, secret? Like, what's the real secret? And I'm like, there is no secret. The secret's hard work, <laughs> right? Like, 
And it's yeah. really funny that you mentioned that because a couple of years ago, I wrote a book or an ebook called The Four Habits of Success. And the point there is, is that I don't believe that success is necessarily even about skill sets. I think you could learn skill sets over time. But if you don't have the proper habits, then those skill sets don't matter. Like if you don't know how to manage your time, it's going to be hard to implement anything that you learn. If you don't know how to manage your money, you can make a bunch of it, but then spend it all and not have anything to move your business forward. If you're not constantly educating yourself and doing personal development, then you're not growing. And if you don't have mentors to help you along the way, then where are you headed, right? So I feel like habits are super important and often overlooked. And I feel like you can learn the skill set, but you better have some really powerful habits in order to implement everything that you're learning as far as skills go. Mm. And mentorship. I like that you brought that in there as well, because that's important as well, especially in the entrepreneurial world, because when you're an entrepreneur, the good news is your own boss. The bad news is you're your own boss. So as I say, as soon as you decide to become self-employed, you automatically have the worst boss in the world. They let you cut corners, let you take extra lunch breaks, let you duck out of work early. You know, they make all these excuses for you. So I think it's really important that even like you said, that there's hard work. I like that too, the habits, because skills can be learned. I mean, everybody knows, or many people know the 10,000 hour rule. To be world-class at something, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. But a lot of people don't know that to go from being a beginner to an intermediate at something, the 10,000 hours to be a world-class expert, but to go from beginner to intermediate, it's 20 hours. So 20 hours of practice on any skill, you can go from being a complete novice to an intermediate, 20 hours of, and that's 20 hours of doing it, not 20 hours of reading how to do a backflip or reading how to play tennis, 20 hours of actually, you know, actively engaged in what you're trying to be skilled at. And that's just so little, like that's like a week. In a week, you go from being complete novice at how to build communities to being on your way to building a million person community as well. Just to piggyback on that, if I told you that I tripped, slipped and fell into this strategy or into the tactic that I'm sharing with your audience, I'd be lying to you. Because I mean, the truth is, is that I've had help along the way. I've had mentorship. I didn't just discover this and decide, okay, I'm going to go build you know, 30 million fans and teach 10,000 people how to do it. No, I met somebody. I was actually living in Costa Rica and I met somebody that was doing this and they were doing it completely stealth. They weren't teaching it. And I nudged them and you know, asked them to mentor me probably for three weeks before they agreed and learned from somebody, right? I didn't just like discover this. Like this wasn't a new thing. This was already happening. I just learned it from somebody and applied my own techniques to it, applied my own philosophies to it, created my own milestones and made it my own, right? But everything that I've accomplished up to this point has come through hiring mentors in my business, hiring mentors in marketing, hiring mentors in health, hiring mentors in my personal life. Like I feel like mentorship is one of the most important habits that you can create for yourself is hiring people that have been to where you want to go so you can get there faster. Mm, mm, so well said. So what were some of the habits do you feel have helped you on your path to success? I mean, you kind of hit, alluded to some there. You were addicted to socializing with people that were into the same thing, getting mentors. What other habits do you feel? Do you have day-to-day -day habits you feel have really benefited you? It's really those four from both the micro level and the macro level. So there's four. So there's time management, money management, mentorship, and personal development. Personal development isn't something that I just did one day or I went to a workshop and got some rah-rah and got excited. And then I was like, okay, I'm personally developed. I'm ready to go. Personal development is something that I do every single day, right? Every single day, I read a positive or uplifting book. If I don't have time to do that, I listen to a positive or uplifting podcast like that we're uh, conducting right now. In fact, I I listened to one of your episodes earlier today. Oh, wow. You know, I go to a workshop, I go to an event, I rub shoulders with people inside of masterminds. Masterminds is part of my personal development. I don't just go there to pitch my thing. I go there to learn from other people and grow my myself personally, grow my business, get new ideas and strategies and, you know, see how I can joint venture and combine ideas from other people into what I'm doing.
mentorship. I've had mentors since I started. Uh Since I was 19, starting as an entrepreneur, I had a mentor in that business that has Uh gone down the path that I've been down. Once I've surpassed the level that I felt that he can guide me, I went and found another mentor. I went and found somebody else that can teach me and guide me and show me the way in the career or the business endeavor that I was in. And throughout my career, I've had multiple mentors at any given time, a mindset coach, a health coach, a high performance coach, a business coach, because a lot of these people have wisdom. They have a lot more years on me. Even if it's not years, it's experience, right? There's not enough time in our lifetime to learn everything. And that's why mentorship is so valuable is because you can latch on to somebody that's devoted their life to their vocation. And you could learn some invaluable lessons from them in just a short period of time by just opening up your mind and listening to them, taking their advice. That's where time management habit comes in, right? I can spend 80% of the time learning, but then I only have 20% of the time to implement, right? So, you know, my whole thing is focus 80% of your time on income producing activities and 20% of your time on learning. So what are some of your income producing activities? Do you have a checklist or something? Income producing activities could be training a new team member. You know, it depends on your personal strengths. Like I was saying earlier, because there's things that I'm just not good at, or even if I am good at them, I hate them. And so it doesn't serve me to kind of put myself in that position. So every person is going to be a little bit different. But for me, it's, you know, inspiring somebody on my team, uh, having a team meeting, casting vision for a client, having a strategy call with somebody and showing them how they can expand or scale their business. Those are income producing activities for me because I get paid for that time, for that strategy, right? It's putting a lead generation campaign in place. It's putting a monetization campaign in place on one of my pages. It's getting my authority site from a million visitors a day to 2 million visitors a day, right? Income producing activities that will help me achieve those goals. I like that. The other thing that I like about your strategy too is it gives you a kind of a safe way to scale because by growing those non-threatening communities, which maybe you have to pay for, it maybe it just happens organically on its own, but by growing that it automatically feeds whatever else you're already doing, you know? So, it's a great method and I think I'll give you another example, Daryl, if that's okay. Sure, do it. So I have a class called the Traffic Tribe that I teach. And basically, it's a private mastermind for people that want to learn how to do this community building stuff. And I had a new student last week on Tuesday. He contacted me and his page at this time was at about 9,000. He's put probably about 15 to 20 hours into learning the strategies. His first time doing it, never done it before. He's in the, I'm not going to give you the name of the page because he wanted to keep it confidential, but it's in the agricultural space. That's all I'm going to say. It's in that niche. Okay. And the page was at about 9,000 when he messaged me. And he basically said, like, Arthur, I'm freaking out. I have a post going viral. How do I monetize? I look at his page and his page is at 10,000. I'm like, you're not ready yet. Let me see your post. And I look at the post. And sure enough, the post has about 20 or 30,000 shares. It's going viral. And at that moment, I realized that it's kind of like the success epiphany that I had about community building. In the beginning, you're spending money to build the audience, right? At a certain point where it hits critical mass, you start getting a lot of organic fans. In fact, we have pages that on a weekly basis are getting 50, 60, 70,000 organic fans every single week. And I went and looked at that post yesterday. That post surpassed 300,000 shares. Every person that I've talked to and showed the post to was like, oh, wow, I like that post last week. It's like, you know, everyone has seen it because it's funny and it's viral. It's got 20,000 likes, 300,000 shares, thousands of comments. And guess what happened to his page? His page went from just under 10,000 to over 41,000 in a week organically. 
He didn't pay for that. Like that's just organic proof, like social proof. Like people are excited about that topic and they want to share it and they want to like it and they want to see more posts like that. And when that guy is ready to monetize, he's got an audience that he built a little bit through paid marketing, a little bit through organic marketing, but it's an asset that he's going to have long term, right? He's going to keep building it. That page is going to go from 40,000 to 400,000 to 1.4 million. And it's never going to die as long as he's consistent, he's congruent, and he's putting content in front of the audience that the audience already loves. Got it. That's such a good example. You know, it's funny because if anyone, you listen to one episode, but if you listen to enough, you probably have heard me use the analogy. It's like, it's the equivalent of putting out free bird food every day. And then every day you get a larger and larger community of birds coming to get the free food. At some point, once you've reached like your critical mass, you would be like, hey guys, here's your free bird food. By the way, if you're thirsty, I got bottles of water. It's a dollar a bottle. Now, assuming birds had wallets. But uh, I think it's kind of the same analogy here. You've got a pool or a pond or something where you're dishing out a ton of, you know, you've got a hot topic. People love to talk about you've been smart and strategic at the beginning by doing some research and make sure that like again like with the survival training walking dead is a great example where you may not think it matches but actually it does because anybody that watches walking dead will be thinking about what if that sort of thing ever happened maybe it's not a zombie maybe it's just a war maybe there is a disease like black leg comes back maybe global warming right people die off how would i handle some sort of scenario so then you obviously that builds that community and then when you reach your critical mass like you say you're surveying them and then you start trying to siphon people off off that need greater help. And then by now, your organic thing kind of has a bit of a life of its own and continues to grow. It's like the worm without a fish hook, right? People don't see anything other than the juicy worm. And then, of course, you help the people that need help with whatever your product or service can solve for them. You're really creating your own blue ocean, right? I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy like blue ocean versus red ocean. There's the book and it's like everyone's fighting for the red ocean, like people that are ready to buy right now. I didn't read the book, but I know it was like the blue ocean strategy, which is like if you're willing to invest and nurture and build relationships with people and understand people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell. And you just create, you know, events on an ongoing basis. So, you know, people will jump in and join those events and buy from you. Is that at all accurate? I haven't read the book. So. Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, you know, I'm not against direct response marketing by any stretch. I have tons of clients we do direct response marketing for. But anytime you go into a channel, whether it's Facebook ads, YouTube ads, Pinterest, Instagram, wherever we're playing Google's display network, doesn't matter. We've done it all, right? But you're basically fishing in a red ocean. There's a bunch of competition. Mm-hmm. When you build these communities, you're creating your own blue ocean. Your competitor can't come into your community page and say, okay, I'm going to market here now. It doesn't work like that. It's your blue ocean. And Facebook's not going to come in and be like, hey, you know what? We really hate that you're giving people this valuable content from now on. Just spam them with a bunch of links, show them a bunch of animated images, and make sure you're selling a bunch of stuff all the time. They're never going to say that. That's not like the, what they're built on. They're built on giving their users a good user experience. And by building the communities the right way, you're doing that. You're giving them valuable content that they can consume. And you're essentially creating your own blue ocean that will never go red unless you make it red. And the only way you're going to make it red is if you start doing the thing that I just suggested Facebook will never want you to do. Right. Now, I have a question because I hinted at this before. And first of all, if people are resonating with this, where should they go to find out more information? Is it right if I share like a free gift with them? Okay, cool. So I have what's called a seven step tribe accelerator cheat sheet. And it's basically everything that they've heard that they can start implementing today. It's a two in one guide. So it includes the hot niche guides. They can do a little bit of their own research and kind of figure out what niche makes the most sense for them. And it also gives them the seven steps that I take to implement each and every community that I build. And the way that they can get that, do you want to link that in the show notes or can I just share it with everybody? Let's go ahead and share it. Okay, it's atubman.com forward slash free dash gift. So that's A-T-U-B-M-A-N dot com forward slash free dash 
gift. So free minus gift. And you go there, you'll see a page. Yep. And you can just sign up and get the seven step tribe accelerator cheat sheet. Pretty handy. Great. Perfect. Please go get that. If any of this has resonated, I definitely think that's an important topic that every business needs to know. I mean, the business graveyard is littered with world-class quality products and services that nobody knew about. And so being able to find that starving crowd that will be growing and attract more hungry people, you know, it's almost like when you're a kid or whether you still go clubbing now, often people go look to see which lineup is bigger. I know when I, I was 19, I did security. We would sometimes on purpose, let the line build up. Place is empty inside. We're letting the line build up because that's where people are going to choose where to go. And so you can reach a critical mass. I mean, that's all a business is, is a group of people providing a product or service to solve the problem of another group of people. And so building a community for that other group of people that you're going to serve is a huge, huge, huge thing to be able to learn and continually learn and evolve with. But now, Arthur, I do have a bit of a question. And have you had any issues? Because I got off the Facebook page building bandwagon years ago when I did it with a client and we went from 30,000 to 300,000 fans. And then January 1st, 2014, Facebook said, if you want to reach your fans, you have to boost your post. And that's what got me off of that because we'd spend a ton of time, energy, and money building that sort of thing. And beginning of the year, we went from getting 2 million impressions a week to getting like 300,000. And then Facebook wanted us to boost our posts. And that kind of went its course. And I don't know where things have landed now, but obviously you're doing fine. It hasn't bothered you at all. So I don't know if you could speak to that at all because, you know, we were doing something similar. We were posting a few times a day. Sorry, I know I'm like putting you on the, on the spot, but we were posting a few times a day doing that. We built it. It was doing great. But then we had that issue. And have you had that issue? Have you troubleshooted that issue? Do you have any insights or recommendations for anyone that's worried about that sort of thing happening to them? Yeah, I actually did run into that issue. And I remember that being an issue in 2014. And it's when Facebook started like really throttling reach. And I don't believe in boosting posts. Yeah, I actually have a saying <laughs> internally in my mastermind that goes, friends don't let friends boost posts. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not against page post engagement ads and, you know, creating a little bit of paid marketing behind a post that's going viral just against using the boosting feature just because it's got a pretty sizable tax on it that I don't like uh -huh. seeing anybody have to experience. But the way that we get around, we got around the reach issue is we started focusing really, really strongly on what I now call the congruency doctrine and really giving our audience the user experience they first came there for and not over diversifying our page, right? So if we know that they respond to a certain type of joke or a certain type of meme or a certain character more than the other character or a certain type of story, or they like to talk about a certain topic, we're gonna give them more of that. And so if I see that a page reach has gone down and it happens from week to week, then I have a, you know, a whole folder for each one of my pages of all of the magic posts, as I call them, that I know that I can put up and in 10 minutes get a thousand shares or a thousand mm -hmm. likes or a thousand comments, depending on the type of engagement post that it is, I will pull that out of my safe, I'll pull that out of my library and I'll post it to that page to get people back to where they were. And that's, you know, being rabid and engaging and loving the thing that they originally came there for. Got it. So it really comes down, Daryl, to congruency and consistency. And I experienced that when it first happened. And the reality is, is that algorithms are going to change. And I think that the Facebook algorithm has changed. Like it feels now like it changes like every two to three weeks. And it just comes down to, you know, reading the news, adapting to it, making changes and making adjustments. But remembering that you still have to kind of stick to the basics of what the platform is and what Facebook's ultimately trying to do. And that's give their users a good user experience.
Yep, yep. I love it. And I think that's a very great answer. And I apologize because that was totally unscripted. And I mean, for people listening, we don't necessarily script the podcast at all. We've got some questions we sometimes use, but it was because it was something I didn't know if you'd have an answer for or not. And it is a big problem a lot of people face. But I think you're totally right. And I think this kind of goes back to what I remember hearing. I mean, I've been in the internet marketing world for a while. And I remember in the early days, people talking about Google and like search engines and, you know, and the hummingbird release and the penguin and all these things. And the reality is, is that these services aren't going to slap you or punish you for delivering relevant, timely, interesting stuff people want, you know, to people that want it. Now, will they slap you for pushing stuff that's relevant, timely, and interesting to people who aren't interested on that topic? Yes, right? They're gonna slap you for pushing things that aren't timely, aren't interesting? Then yes, of course. And so I think that's probably the best way, like you say, to focus on congruency more. And I loved how you mentioned that you got a little portfolio of swipe posts or magic files. I have one. I'll share one with you after the call. It's a post that I shared. This is back in the day. It got shared now. It wasn't like hundreds of millions, but for me, on my little, like my newly formed Facebook account, I got like a thousand shares and it's something I actually look at on a regular basis. I'll send that to you. Uh, maybe it's helpful or not, but I think what you've shared with us today is extremely invaluable. I think everyone listening to this call probably wants to listen to call to a couple of times. They also probably want to go check out atubman.com slash free dash gift. That's free minus gift. Go check out the seven step tribe accelerator cheat sheet. Arthur, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should? have asked you uh i think that we had a really good call and i think that at the end of the day you know you could learn the strategy and you could be like okay this is cool i could see myself doing it you just have to take massive action if you're going to build something like this if you're going to build a community you're going to build an asset and you know like you just mentioned you're not going to get slapped for doing something white hat something that people want so you know download this tribe accelerator cheat sheet that i'm sharing with you start doing some research you know feel free to reach out to me personally on facebook i'll take questions from people here and there and kind of help and guide you along the way and if you show me that you're you know you're an action taker and you're you're willing to take massive consistent action you're going to have success with the strategy so i encourage everybody to kind of you know dive in see if it's something that would work for their business and if you think it would i'd love to uh to chat with you at some point and are you in the right direction. That's awesome. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I really enjoyed this call. I took a bunch of notes. I know our listeners will as well. I get people reaching out to me on a regular basis, and I know this is going to be one of the good ones. So thank you so much for sharing us. I know you've got millions of people that you could have been tending to, but you came to help tend to my community instead. So thanks, man. I appreciate you for that. And I know you're doing good work. So thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please 
leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.